Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. The Other People podcast is offered freely. All episodes of this program are available for free. If you would like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Thanks. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person and just one time. Hello? Hi, everybody. This is Brad Listy. This is the Other People Podcast. It's nice to have you here. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I have Christopher Tsaishag on the program. He has a new memoir out from Rare Bird Books. The memoir is called Body to Job. It's about his adult film career. Christopher Tsaishag was a, a porn star. He was a bisexual male porn star. His porn star name was Danny Wilde, W-Y-L-D-E. And he's written a very thoughtful, very provocative, very compelling uh, very interesting, no holds barred account of those experiences. He's a, like a really soft-spoken guy, and he was kind enough to come over here, sit down with me, and have a conversation. And that's coming up in just a moment. Before we get there, I do have some news, and uh, it's good news about the podcast. The Other People Podcast is entering into a partnership with LitHub.com, Literary Hub. You guys know uh, Literary Hub, right? It's one of the best literary sites on the internet. Absolutely indispensable for people who love books. And it is getting, uh, you know, it's getting ready to launch a new podcast section. And it will feature a small handful of shows that are bookish in nature. Among them is the Other People podcast. So I'm very excited about it. I'm very flattered to be included. And what this will do, I hope, is introduce this show to a wider audience and in so doing it will introduce the authors and the people with whom i speak to a wider audience it'll introduce their work i hope to a wider audience and it should be a great thing for everybody having said that if you're a longtime listener of this program please know that nothing changes the show's official website will continue to be the same otherppl.com you'll be able to follow the show on twitter same as always at other ppl the show will continue to be free the show's official app will continue to be free. The Other People app. It's available wherever you get your apps. It's free. 
you can listen to everything right there. It's not going to change. If you're a new listener and uh, you just discovered the show, either via LitHub or elsewhere, I just want to say welcome. And, uh, you know, just to give you a, a brief rundown of the basics, the Other People podcast has been happening for almost eight years. There's more than 550 episodes in the archive. Every single episode is available for free. And what I do is I talk to writers generally. Occasionally I'll talk to an agent or an editor or somebody like that, but mostly I talk to writers. The conversations tend to run for about an hour, sometimes more. It's a podcast. There's no rules. And uh, it's a little bit irreverent sometimes. I don't know how to describe it. I have conversations with people. I've been doing it for a long time, and I welcome you to the program if anybody has any questions or if you want to reach out to me with your thoughts, you can do so at letters at otherppl.com. Okay? I think I covered it all. Lithub.com, you'll be able to see uh, the Other People podcast over there. If not right now, then very soon. It's all happening. And uh, it's a very good thing. So let's get to the program, shall we? My guest today is Christopher Zeischeg, his new memoir, Body to Job is available now from Rare Bird Books. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Christopher Zeischeg. I was 19, living uh, in Santa Cruz, California, going to school at the university there. And it was nothing more at first than I just needed a job, any job. Um, my what, mom, what year was this? This was 2005, I think. Um... You know, I'd moved there with a little bit of money my mom had given me, and that was about to run out. So I was just on Craigslist looking for jobs, and I had applied to be a barista. I had applied at a bookstore. No one was getting back to me. And I started to see these things on the gigs section that were kind of like calls for um, art models, I guess, but who were to be nude. So I thought this would kind of be funny in a way or like a weird experience. And I ended up modeling for kind of like gay photographers in the Bay area near San Francisco. And I noticed very quickly that most of them wanted me to get an erection and would often pay more for that. And I said, whatever. So after a few months of basically just, just getting by, I mean, these people were not paying me very much money, like 50 bucks a pop or something like that. Um, I finally saw this ad for, um, I guess what is the company that's now kink.com. It was like a BDSM porn scene. They needed men to be in a submissive scene with women. So you would get like tied up and kind of whipped and stuff. And, and again, this was something that was not like an aspiration of mine, but thought I thought at the time it would be like a weird one-time experience to tell my friends about. And it ended up being... Uh, one of the more professional porn shoots I've been on, they were in this really big studio and had a lot of crew and they had craft services. Cra yeah, they had craft services <laughs> and they were very nice to me. And this, um, went against everything I thought about porn. So they called me back the following week after I did this and asked if I'd go to the Napa Valley and replace this guy they lost. And it was like a week's worth of work. And it was more than I'd ever made in a month, and um, things just kind of went from there. I, I agree. Is that, yeah. is that the common story with people who work in the porn industry? Like, 
like nobody winds up there in like out of a, uh, intentionality. It's kind of got to happen by accident. I would say most of the time that's true. Things have started to change, strangely enough. I I don't really work in the porn industry that much, but I, I sometimes do some post-production and production work. So I end up on set maybe once or twice a month. And because of uh, the influence of like Pornhub and rampant free porn on the internet, there are a lot of young people who seem to have grown up on this since age 12 and oh. have developed kind of an idea that this might be something they want to do. That certainly wasn't true when I first got in. There might have been a few people who really wanted to do it, but most of them, it seemed, had stories somewhat similar to mine, that they kind of got into it by accident or just by like doing something that seemed extreme when they were, uh, you know, a young adult. And suddenly you're getting paid for it. Yeah. And, it's, and as a young person, it's good money. Right. And then somebody offers you another one. Right. And then another one. Right. And suddenly you look up and like a year's gone by. You're like, I guess I'm a porn star. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what else comes to mind? Like this might st sound like a strange parallel. I mean, part of it is a large part of it is just physical. You're, you know, you know, porn stars tend to be young, the beauty right. of youth and you know, all that stuff. But it's also, uh, it makes me think of like the military and how, you know, there, it's not an accident that like young 18 year old, 19 year old men are, uh, conscripted into the military. And that that's like, that's the age when you become a warrior and like get involved in this stuff and. I don't know. You're impressionable. You're open to experience. You, you can be, uh, imprinted upon. Oh yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I can see the parallel. I mean, I've never worked in the military, but not yet, not yet, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, I think at least for me and a lot of other people, it's like, you're, you're so open to doing almost anything and you feel kind of invincible too. See, I was that way. But there's no way in hell I would ever strip down nude in front of a stranger and feel comfortable. Like, <laughs> I haven't, I've not seen your work. Are you well hung? Like you just like have, uh, I mean, I'm pretty average for porn. I don't know for normal people size, maybe I'm slightly above average. I wouldn't say I have like a huge dick. Or like one of these like crazy, because like, nah. I always like wonder like, what's it like to walk through life with that? Like what kind of confidence do you have? Like, or is it weird? Do you feel like, like almost like self-conscious about it? No. I mean, I was incredibly shy as a teenager. I did not have sexual confidence at all. I think I got all of that through porn. I mean, the first scene I did, it was not as like a, a top or someone who's aggressive. I mean, I, and that appealed to me be, because I felt, um, somewhat sexually inexperienced. It wasn't like a virgin or anything, but I was, I liked the idea of doing crazy things more than I was willing to do on my own. And I felt that if I was put in this environment where it just happened to me, um, that that might be the only way that I would be able to, to experience that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Like, like you're in like a structured environment and somebody else is sort of calling the shots and you, right. just, you just show up and like follow instructions. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns 
depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. So what, let's, let's go into like your first porn scene. Cause it's one thing to be like, you know, stripping down naked and having your photo taken, but it's different than having sex on camera. Oh, absolutely. And this was not something I think that I would enjoy outside of, I mean, these are a lot of new experiences. So kink.com had a site back then called men in pain. And I think it ended up being switching to being called divine bitches or something like that. So it's a femdom thing like female domination. Um, and I was tied up electrocuted in my penis, which is horrible. I don't recommend that. Wait, though. somebody electrocuted your dick. Yeah. Cause I remember reading like the little metal clamps. Those are the ones with the jagged little teeth. Yeah, but, but you gotta, I had a, a piercing in my cock at that point. Oh. See, this is kind of who I was at, at 19. I was, uh. You pierced your dick at 19? Yeah. I, I wanted to do like everything that was bad. I, you know, I don't know how to say that otherwise. I was like really into like underground metal and liked, um, just anything that seemed kind of aggressive. Yeah. So this was all kind of, I was open to it, but yeah, I pierced my dick. That didn't feel good either, but uh, you did it yourself. No, oh. I went to a piercer and like, you scream like, what is like, Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a whole different experience. Uh, no, I didn't scream. I mean, in my head probably, Yeah. but I think the clamp, they have to clamp the head of your dick and uh. shove a needle through. I don't know. This is, this is a, a story I wasn't intending on going people, into. But... People are listening on the subway to this episode, just squirming in their seats. Uh, yeah. So you get your dick pierced, and then they're electrocuting through the, the piercing? So, they, yeah, the director asked, uh, because she hadn't seen this happen too much on set, with a guy show up with a, a dick piercing. So she asked if she could put an alligator clip on it and, like, hook it up to this electric <laughs> device that I guess people use for BDSM. Um, and I was like... I don't know. I've never done that before, but you can try. And it was horrible. And then I, I said, stop after a while. And then I agreed to kind of fake it to continue which was the good part of that. She was open to me just kind of screaming as if this was happening. Did you scream when you first got jolted? Oh yeah. How many volts? Like what? Like what was uh, the... I mean, it's very low voltage. I have no idea. Like enough this to, is enough yeah. to wake you up. It's not, yeah, it's not something that could like really hurt you, but it's something that, I mean, you feel, you feel something. Yeah. Okay. So that was your first like on camera <laughs> sex situation is getting your dick shocked. I mean, that wasn't the only thing that happened, but it's a memorable part of it. But yeah. what else happened? Um, so I don't know. The, the girl did all sorts of kind of erotics, like rubbing her ass on me and then, but I was still tied to a chair and then she, she fucked me in the ass with like a strap on which um i hadn't really had happened before uh which i i don't think i like that 
I don't like that. But it was not terrible. Like, I feel kind of neutral about it. And how many people are on set? Like, mm. what's the crew? Like, how many like how many people are watching this happen? There's probably a crew of, like, six people. Okay. Which so is... Small. Small, but large by today's porn standards. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, the director, camera operator, production assistant, probably a gaffer and a grip. Fluffer? And, is there a fluffer? No. There's, there's no, no fluffers, fluffers ever. 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 You gotta fluff yourself? You gotta fluff yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, man. Were you nervous? Yeah. I was very nervous. But like clearly like uh, like disinhibited enough to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, once I had agreed and gotten in far enough, it seemed um, there's more effort to kind of call it off. You right. know? So I just went through all of it. And and they were very um, enthusiastic about each each piece. It was like broken into these little scenes, and they kept saying, "You're doing great." And so, I mean, maybe they were lying. At this point, I feel like they probably say that to everyone. But I felt like oh, I must be doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> and like, how serious did you take the acting part of it? Because I think one of like the tropes, <laughs> one of the common tropes about porn is like how funny, like how bad the acting is. Oh, it's awful. But then, like, you know, you watch, like, the Porn Awards or whatever, the yeah. AVN Awards. Yeah. And, like, it's totally tongue-in-cheek. I know, like, most people get there in on the joke. But there is also, like, there deep down, there is something sort of, like, heartbreaking uh, and about how earnest people are about, like, being recognized for their performance. Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I do. I know people like that. I actually just worked on a movie where this the lead, I won't say his name because... He'd probably hate me for it, but he probably won't listen to this. So whatever. You never know. But he was all about the performance and it was fine. But like outside of porn, no one would care at all. Do you know what I mean? I, I've never taken that seriously. I mean, let's say if someone hires me for a job, I'll do it to the best of my ability. But that first scene, the acting was not was not part of the appeal. You know what I mean? I think there was an intro. Um I walked in to find like this woman in like a latex nurse outfit and she was spitting on the table and rubbing. That was how she was cleaning it. So I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Or something like that. <laughs> that, was I mean, that was I mean, I, it was not <laughs> scripted. It was just like, Oh, you're improv Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, there are scripted porns, but uh, a lot of it is like the director says, this is kind of what's going to happen. And you go in and do it in one take. <laughs> And then you move, you move on. We go home. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, cause you know, I say all that about porn acting and yet I would say that somebody who can have uh, sex on camera with six people watching them and have it seem authentic and human might uh -huh. be some of the greatest acting on the planet. Uh, you know, like that's actually really hard to do. I got it. It's why you so rarely see it. And I guess if you were watching a porn and feeling like it was real, like you would probably think it was like some sort of home movie, which tends to be the format now. It's just somebody who like sets a camera up in their bedroom or whatever. Right. But do you get what I'm saying though? Like, I do, yeah. There Are there people who you've worked with where you're like, wow, like that was convincing. Like I think she might've actually been enjoying that. <laughs> oh, of course. And I mean... I'm going to go out and say that there have been a few times where I'm pretty sure they actually enjoyed it. And, and certainly I have. Um, 
there are people who I think really enjoy the job and who, um, you know, put their all into it and have really great experiences, um, and who are able to kind of transcend what you're talking about and like, and give something authentic. I mean, I don't know. Everything's performative in a way. Our personal sex lives are performative. So certainly that's going to exist in front of the camera. But I think for a porn star to be at the top of her or his game is to be able to be conscious of the camera and where they need to position their body and also be authentic in, in their pleasure or giving someone else pleasure or whatever. Um, I don't know that I was ever the best at this, but you know, there was certainly a couple of years before I quit where I thought I was not bad. I, well, don't I mean, you get, you get better with practice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you talk about people who take the job seriously and, um, really enjoy it and feel like they're getting something out of it and they're giving something back. Like, sure. I think there are sex workers who take, um, whatever job they're doing, um, or, or they view whatever job they're doing from the perspective of helping, you know, their fans or the people at home watching or people watching them dance or whatever to relax or have some joy and pleasure in their lives. Like, is that the, is that the angle that people take when they have a kind of a healthier perspective on it or something? Yeah, I guess so. Um, like, are you thinking about the user at home? Do you know what I'm saying? The person I, at home? I was never thinking about the user at home. I mean, at least not in the middle of a performance. I think there was a, a couple of years where I got into the politics of it. I was really involved in kind of uh, pro-porn activism and pro-porn feminism, which some people may think is like uh, impossible, but I assure you it exists. Um, and that was... With there was sort of a message to the fans, not necessarily in the middle of a scene, but to destigmatize the work. I mean, at this point, I'm very neutral towards porn. I don't really have a positive or negative opinion of it. I think it can be both. But I think that a lot of people on the right and left of the political spectrum get really amped up about their moral conclusions about pornography. And I think basically what I and some other people were trying to do is basically just say, this is a job. We're not necessarily being coerced to be here. I'm sure that happens in some like nefarious parts of the industry, but, um, in mainstream porn, it's not like that at all. There's way too much paperwork and corporatization to, to be like dragging someone by their hair, kicking and screaming to be in the scene. Um, like to be a performer, you have to kind of go through a lot of legal loops like just, what? Well, the paperwork you have to do just to get in to do a scene is insane compared to like any other acting. Um, and it, you have to go get tested for STIs. You have to most of the time be with an agency. I mean, there are a lot of steps that you need to kind of consent to to even get onto a porn set. Um, there are, you know, kind of rotten apples in the industry or whatever, but. Basically, it was just to talk about this as if it's just work and to compare it to other kinds of mundane labor so that people understand these are people going to their job and they're getting paid and it can be good and bad and maybe a mixture of bad both. day at the office. Yeah, bad day at the office. How many, how many at like the height of your porn career, how many films were you doing? Like what was the average work week? Um, at the height, I was working like three to five days a week. 
which fucking on camera three to five days a week. Yeah. And that didn't have like a, a, a deleterious effect on your psyche or your soul or anything. Um, I mean, that's complicated. That's a complicated <laughs> question. Not always, you know, I felt, um, best when I was also in a relationship with someone like a long-term relationship because the kind of chronic physical intimacy that I would have on set, uh, was a little draining when I could not balance that with a kind of like emotional security at home. Uh, when I didn't have that, and especially when I was kind of financially strapped and ended up doing, uh, I guess, escorting or hustling is what it's called for guys. Like basically fucking men for money outside of porn there was so much emotional labor tied up in that because a lot of people who pay for sex in my opinion tend to be very lonely and um it's not necessarily about the sex it's about this intimacy they're missing in their life and they and so they kind of uh unconsciously treat this as a therapy session well it's like it's like the the old adage or not not the old (laughs) adage but like it's a story I've heard more than once about like escorts who are like, you know, get hired by like investment bankers. Right. And they go over there expecting to have sex. And really what they do is just like have cocaine and like watch this person cry all night or whatever. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not like that always goes that way, but let's say most, most escorts have had that experience and I've certainly had that experience. And uh, that is draining as fuck more so than going to a porn scene. How do you have an intimate relationship with somebody? And then be like, by the way, you know, I'm going to go to a, a porn set and have sex with like three different people. And then I'm going to ask, you know, like, how do you balance uh, that? Well, in my person, personal experience, this has only really worked with other people who are sex workers. I mean, you have to be on the same page. Yeah. Um, other people seem to work at that out somehow with, with what we call civilians, which is just anyone who is not a sex worker. Um, but whenever I've tried that it fell apart within a month. Um, either they fetishize me as kind of like, Oh, I get to fuck a porn star, which is exhausting when you have to like perform for someone when you get home as well. Yeah. Or there's this like massive jealousy, which I get and which also happens in a relationship with another sex worker, but at least you have like some common ground on which to, kind of reform the rules of monogamy or whatever you you want um i would say most of the relationships i was in we we call this something like emotional monogamy like we go to work we have sex but when we come home we're with each other are you having sex with your intimate partner or are you like burned like, out <laughs> you're like i've had enough sex enough with the sex uh no i'm having sex with my intimate partner i mean there are days when one of us is uh on set <laughs> out of it yeah or i mean isn't it like you can't have sex twice a day but certainly I'd had female partners who got sore from working too much. And so when they got home, it was like, either we don't have sex or I don't know, we can do other things that don't involve her orifices. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Uh, what about like the ability to enjoy sex or like actually, um, I guess maybe for women, it might be more of an issue like to be able to have like a like a truly authentic and enjoyable sexual experience and like a real orgasm and all this stuff like does that blunt your ability to do that when you're having sex on camera three to five days a week or does it like actually own it (laughs) (laughs) no i mean 
it is probably different for some women. Um, I've, I'm friends with enough women who are sex workers that I truly believe that some of them enjoy most of their experiences on set. Not a hundred percent of them, but let's say that more often than not, they like this and may have real orgasms. I was going to ask, yeah, you, have you been in a scene with a female porn star and felt like, well, that was a real one. Yeah, I have. You have. Yeah. Did they tell you afterwards? Yeah. They did. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like common or uncommon. It's kind of like, it really, I think depends on your particular chemistry with someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's like, I'm sure this is true of acting and like uh, mainstream media. Like you can do a scene with someone who really plays off of you or you just really have to work at it and be convincing despite this person who doesn't really want to be there. It's like Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey hated each other on the set of Dirty Dancing. Oh, really? You would never know. You wouldn't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> they had fantastic on-screen chemistry. So, uh, hygiene. Yeah. It's a big issue in porn. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you like, right. I would be, I would be fixated on like, do I smell or by clean? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I got like, and then you're doing anal and it's like, how do you deal with that? And like the person you're like, let's say you're having <laughs> anal with the female. Right. Like, is it like, an, like, are there, are there contractual obligations or is it like kind of like an unwritten rule? Like, what do you got to go through to make sure that like, A, you're being respectful of whoever you're in a scene with, but B, you're not like pooping on camera or whatever, you know? Well, let's say the, the men and women who do this a lot, um, they have their routines, but every, uh, porn director or producer bring, who's going to shoot something like an anal scene brings uh, a kit, which includes like enemas and different things like that. And that's pretty standard. I mean, so, okay. But what does that even mean? Uh, so you go to the store, you can buy like a fleet enema, you dump out the laxative part and just fill it up with water and kind of flush yourself out a number of times until nothing comes out anymore. Uh, and then for like a lot of girls I know who, who do a lot of anal porn, they'll set kind of rules for themselves. If they get booked for a scene, they won't maybe eat dinner the night before, or they'll have certain foods that they know, um, won't really come out looking like much, like they'll only eat gummy bears or something like that. <laughs> it's kind of tricks of the trade. Yeah. But it's like, it happens still. And if, if it's a little bit of poop, like I don't care. I feel like I'm an adult and even in my personal life, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go there and have sex with someone and fuck them in the ass and I'm going to be like worried if they get a little poop on me. I mean, right. Come on, point, it's part of the, it's part of the deal. It's part of the human experience. Yeah. <laughs> if they sh take a full on shit on me, I <laughs> Has mean, that ever happened. Yeah. But this is with usually new performers who don't really know what they're doing. And it's, it sucks. Cause it's like, who are you supposed to ask about this? See? Um, but oftentimes what they have done is taken the enema and used the laxative solution that comes in it. And then they can't stop shitting. And that's when you're in trouble. <laughs> what do you do in that? Just get the hell off the set. And... Uh, I mean, it depends how desperate the producer is for the scene. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stopping, a lot of cleaning up with baby wipes. Sometimes they have to re-shower. I mean, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of money tied up in this, or even if there's not a lot of money tied up in this, that the, these days, 
the ability to make money is uh, not great. So because it's just a, it's a saturated yeah. market, it's a saturated market. So uh, if you're already paying the location fees, you kind of need to get this scene or else you're fucked. So a lot of us just will do what we can to make it happen. What's your highest grossing film? Oh, I don't fucking know. You I don't mean, know. All of this goes to internet and it's, no one buys the DVD anymore. I, I mean, know, but I mean, like, do you have like one that's been downloaded or watched the most? Or? Yeah, there's one on kink.com when I was like actually topping like the dominant guy. Um, what is her name? The performer, I think is Rylan Ray. I don't know. We did a good scene. I think people really like it is because she squirted a lot or I think she was actually peeing. Well, okay, she was, yeah, like yeah. this is, I have a question about <laughs> squirting. <laughs> They're just peeing, right? Eh, it depends, but mostly, yeah. <laughs> mostly in the video, yeah. I believe in the in the real squirt. I've seen it, but it's not a stream. It's not a consistent stream. It's a little... It's, it's just human... Like, it's a like female ejaculation, yeah. basically. But that's very... I think that's a very small amount of liquid compared to what you're seeing in like a squirting porn film. So the secret, a lot of girls, if, even if, they're, if they don't want to pee, what they'll do is they'll take a douche, stick it up there squirt a bunch of water and we'll get the shot we'll get the close-up of it coming out got it yeah tricks things we don't know <laughs> this is the inside scoop right exactly. here um so what about like your family uh -huh. friends you were in college at the time yeah you like and at some point there's going to be somebody who's like oh my god dude i saw you on the internet you know having sex or whatever like when did like talk about that and like how much people knew who were close to you whether or not you cared and uh, so on oh, and so sure. forth. Yeah. Well, I had to come out to my mom pretty early on and it was because I started dating a, pro a porn performer and like I fell in love with her and I wanted to bring her home to visit my family. And I knew as soon as that happened, they're going to ask, well, what does she do? Cause that's just a question parents ask your significant other. She wasn't in school. So that wasn't really a, a possible lie. Um, so I got on the phone with her while I was in my dorm in UC Santa Cruz and said, I have something to tell you. And it was like a, a kind of hard conversation. My mom um, is a conservative Christian. So her morals obviously conflicted with what I was doing, but we had a good relationship and continue to have a good relationship. And of all my family, she's the only person who didn't um, get mad at me about it. She was kind of worried about me. Her concerns were kind of the concerns a lot of people who have no real knowledge of the industry have, which is usually you're being coerced or trafficked, and also um, you're going to get HIV and die, which I guess is a very small, there's a small chance because like, you can never be 100% safe. But uh, we test on a very regular basis, at least in the straight side of the industry. Um, and I had done some gay porn, but you know, used condoms, and that's a whole nother uh, can of worms to get into. But anyway, my, uh, some of my family got mad at me. My grandfather took, uh, took it pretty hard and wrote me something <laughs> that was, uh, I don't mean to laugh, but it's just like, yeah. Tell your grandpa, like, grandpa, well, I'm a porn star. I didn't tell him he got word of it. Cause my mom ended up talking to her, her siblings, my aunts and uncles and, you know, through, the way information seeps through families, it got to them. And I got this kind of brutal email from him and also from my uncle, uh, who had this very, um, 
Well, his point of view is essentially that like I was involved with degrading women and that, uh, you know, this was horrible and every new generation of kids thinks they've invented sex and I'm not doing anything new and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know at this point, no one seems that upset with me, but I'm also out of it. So whatever. Do you, do you think that, I mean, this is going to sound maybe like a weird question, but like your family finds out that you're doing this. Yeah. I think they like watched anything. <laughs> You know, like, cause it's like, I can't imagine like, if I, like I have kids, like if my daughter's like, I'm doing porn, I would be like, I'm not gonna, you know. Oh yeah. You'd stay off the internet. right? I would think, but then like, I, I don't know, like maybe you'd be like, well, what the, what the hell is she doing? Or what is it? you know what I'm saying? Like, do you think that anybody in your family checked it out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a lot of, um, step and half siblings and, and one brother that's from both my parents. And, um, a lot of my siblings have told me that while watching porn, they've stumbled across this and had, and you know, shut the computer down immediately. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like snap yeah. the laptop. <laughs> like, I don't want to see this shit, and you've ruined my jerk off session. <laughs> and, uh, at this point, it's kind of just like a joke. But I mean, I don't know. We don't go into too great of detail. I believe that my mother doesn't watch porn. I don't really know about my dad. I mean, I'm sure he does on occasion, but uh, I don't know that he's savvy enough to really navigate this that well. And if he saw me, he never said anything. So let's talk about your childhood. Yeah. Uh, you were raised in Northern California. Yes. So, and it sounds like your parents uh, split up. Yeah. Okay, so just tell me, where, like, what was your childhood like? Um, my parents are both chiropractors. They divorced when I was six years old. I spent most of my childhood living with my mother and seeing my father, like, I don't know, not that irregularly, but I didn't really live with him most of the time. Um, what was it like? I mean, I had a, my parents kept remarrying, so I kept going through these situations where I would get a bunch of step brothers and sisters and then lose them a few years later. Is it traumatic for you? No, it just is. I feel like a lot of my childhood, I like dissociate from except for the kind of, uh, experiences that followed through. So I have a close relationship with my younger brother and we're from both our parents. And, uh, once I got into middle school and high school, I was very into music, but particularly like underground metal, like death and black metal and metal core. So I played in bands. I go to shows. It was like my life. That's all I really wanted to what, do. What's like, uh, Cause I never got into the underground like metal scene or like death okay. metal or whatever. <laughs> what's the appeal? Like what's the, um, like the, I know like what the music is, but yeah. like, what is it? Well, it's like, uh, to someone who doesn't understand it, I would say like, think about it in terms of sports for young men. I mean, I think this is a very like cathartic thing that has a lot to do with community. And, uh, you spend a lot of time with this very close knit group of guys. Usually, I mean, there are women involved too. I don't want to be sexist or whatever, but let's be realistic. This is mostly, mostly pros to, yeah. yeah, to guys. And, um, so, you know, it's like you have your group of friends, you're all getting together to do something many times a week, which is practice. And then it's also super physical. It's about screaming and like doing all this stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say why aesthetically certain people gravitate towards this instead of other things, but, uh, you, you seem like really mild mannered. Do you, you have anger? <laughs> yeah, but it's the kind of anger that I think a lot of teenagers go through which is comes from 
uh, kind of a feeling of loneliness or not belonging or um, kind of a depression or something like that. I was never outwardly aggressive, but I think this was my outlet for whatever um, frustrations I had internally and otherwise. And like, were you repressing? You think there are things that you were just kind of like sh- like shunting away and like I don't want to deal with that, and well, then that was your outlet. Well, I don't think I was repressing them because I had that outlet. Yeah, I mean, in a way, maybe I was repressing certain things, but I don't think more than anyone else. I mean, it's hard to say. I, in that culture, I think I was very normal, but I think people associate that culture with a feeling of being an outcast. But at the same time, for for people who grew up in the early two thousands, uh, a lot of people were into that kind of music, and when I meet them. I, I don't think of us as being like these strange types of people. I mean, now a lot of these people are infiltrating like professional positions because we're all in our thirties and you go like, Oh yeah. Did you like that band? And yeah, yeah. Give me, give me some bands. Okay. So my favorite band in high school is called converge. It's like they're a Boston metal act that's still around today. And it kind of mixes hardcore. So I don't know if you are familiar with like the early or mid eighties, like minor threat and all those bands. Do you know any? I mean, yeah, uh, I know. I've heard. All right, the name, well, I'm not great at it. Like that kind of came out of punk rock, but then the kind of DIY ethos infiltrated metal and there became bands that were, I don't know, more kind of emotional in their lyrics rather than like pulling all this stuff from like, like D and D and horror films. They're kind of just like, angry teenager yeah i mean the the lyrical content is really about like you know getting your heart broken in high school and being mad and wanting to kill (laughs) yourself and shit like that but it it, at the time that's like really important to me because it's all happening for the first time and it seems like no one else understands but this band (laughs) i don't know yeah but the music is also really technical really fast you go to shows you dance well, you just mo- like you like yeah, get like, throw I mean, elbows, like yeah, all that stuff. Just run into people, jump around, jump off the stage. I don't know. I mean, it's something like dancing. Yeah, but like just aggression and yeah. like like release. Exactly. Okay, so uh, armchair psych, which like I think often go like often happens in the context of conversations about porn, where it's like, oh, this young lady who is a porn star, she's clearly got daddy issues. Uh-huh. You know, like that, that right constant, like that's what people go back to. Um, I don't think it's baseless, right? A lot of, uh, women who get involved in porn have, uh, daddy issues. No, is that too simple? Is that I mean, inaccurate? it is too simple, but it also, I don't think you're wrong. Do you okay. know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's true across the board, but I have to say even like one of my ex-girlfriends, I mean, that was obviously the case and it, it, doing porn for her totally fucked up her relationship with her father. And I don't, I mean, we don't really speak anymore, but throughout the entire course of our relationship, she didn't talk to her dad. Um, as a father, I can tell you that having as a daughter, like that would be very difficult. I believe it. I mean, you know, and I think there are probably ways that I probably didn't get as much shit from it for my, from my family because I'm a guy. I'm going to probably say that's true. Okay. Because this is kind of the, the question that I was leading to is that I feel like the the women in porn get sort of like armchair psyched that way, where it's like, oh, daddy issues, girl right. in porn. What are the guys in porn? Is it like mommy issues? 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there is there a a stereotype or a generality that is not always true but is often true? You know, I heard the porn star Asa Akira say this that that a lot of the girls in porn have daddy issues, and she says all the guys in porn um, are trying to find their mom or like try to find love or something like that, and. I had never heard that before. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, I don't know if that's really true for me, but certainly whenever I crushed out hard on a girl, I would end up dating her. And I mean, this happened only a couple of times really, but then we spawned these long-term relationships. And, um, when I listen to a lot of guys talk, not all of them and not kind of the older guys, but a lot of the younger guys that get into it, they do have this, uh, they tend to have this strange, like, latch on to the first person who will kind of be nice to them type of thing and then get really emotionally weird. Um, I've seen that happen a lot. What do you mean? Like, so, so like, the first person on set that'll be nice to them? Or just well, a- uh, meaning, okay, someone that's, I don't, I don't want to say anyone's name because I just don't want to, like, shove anyone under the bus. But there was, like, a performer who I started to become friends with. And then he, uh, like word spread around the industry about like how crazy he was being towards girls. Cause if he had a scene with a girl and she kind of liked him and wanted to hang out with him after he would, uh, start playing these crazy games in which he kind of was like, you belong to me and you can't work with any other guys and we're going to date, but I'll like fuck whoever I want. And then, but like, I love you. And then he would like call them like every day, like multiple times a day, like texting them on set constantly. And like, who are you working with? Like, you can't fuck this guy. Cause I'm friends with it's him. like you abandonment issues yeah, or something, some, control, something like that. Um, certainly if you're going to be successful <laughs> as a male performer, you can't do that shit. But I see hints of this throughout. I mean, there were, there were guys who would get in really big fights because like they would start dating a girl and then their friend would get booked to work with her. And it was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. What about like, uh, competition among guys? Like you have, com- you compete, you have like a competitive thing going with other male porn stars, about like who gets what movie and <laughs> who's got a bigger dick and like all that kind of stuff. Not about that stuff. And, and I tried my best not to get involved with that. I mean, to a certain degree, I didn't take it that seriously until it was like, it felt like really it was my job. But even at that point, I didn't try to get any, any bouts or fights with other guys. I mean, I only really became friends with a couple of them. Um, I don't know. I mean, the guys in porn, there, there's a stereotype about them that seemed kind of true to me other than the few guys I became friends with because what's the stereotype? Well, that they're like, they have this kind of like jock mentality or like, um, they're the same kind of guys you would meet in like a frat house. I mean, a lot of them just had that vibe, whether that's true or not. There's like a kind of machismo that goes along with it. Uh, I don't know. And that's just not what that didn't appeal to me. And that's not kind of where I came from as a kid. And so, maybe it's also has to do with my my sort of teenage years being into like this aggressive music scene and kind of like making fun of kids who are into football or whatever like that but then you meet all those guys in porn who are like just really into going to the gym every day and like fucking bitches and that's kind of their <laughs> life you know what i mean yeah that's interesting 
you know, I guess it makes sense though. But then like, there's gotta be something else going on. Yeah. And I'm certainly, I'm, um, probably not giving them enough time. I mean, all everyone is complex when you dive deep enough. Uh, it's just on the surface level, a lot of male performers seemed kind of like not the type of person I wanted to be friends with. How do you have sex? On, first of all, having sex on camera and like maintaining an erection seems like it's superhuman to me. But then these porn stars, they have sex and these scenes are like, you know, 20 minutes long. Like, how do you like, is it like uh, cinematic tricks, like tricky <laughs> editing? Are people <laughs> able to sustain themselves for that long? Well, there are certain people who I think are mutants and who are like built to do this. Maybe not they're built to do this, but they're they <laughs> physically gifted. Yeah, physically gifted and they have a lot of stamina. And uh the rest of us um well, like 95% of guys in porn, gay, straight, anyone who has a cock is taking erectile dysfunction medication as a performance enhancer. And that keeps you, that allows you to like, sustain a performance right. longer without ejaculation. It's not about that. It's about keeping your dick hard. Uh, so most guys who get into the business within the first couple of months, they're going to experience a failed scene. And this happened to me very early on where got to set really that would be my whole career yeah. by the way if i got into the fails <laughs> my fa my most famous movie was called failed scene well welcome <laughs> welcome to the party well it's basically like you get there you may be really attracted to your co-talent your co-star um the camera comes out you're ready to do your thing and then it just doesn't work you're just flaccid and you're sitting there in the corner masturbating while the crew looks at their watches. <laughs> and you don't even go like hide in the bathroom. You're just like, fuck it. I'll just do it. Well, right I mean, whatever you do, okay. it's like, and this feeling comes over you like, oh my God, I have to get hard. And then that's all you're thinking about. And then you can't get hard. Right. And then that's the, and then they send you home and you don't get paid and uh. everyone's mad at you. And if that happens enough, um, you basically get fired from the industry. So very quickly people start whispering in your ear that like oh yeah well everyone takes viagra or cialis or you can even shoot your dick up with something called bimix or trimix or there's also something called caverject and this is stuff for like 70 year old men to get an erection but guys in porn are doing this all the time because you don't want to get fired it's a guarantee well the pills aren't even a guarantee they will help you keep it but they won't help you get it but once you get in the mental state where you can do this consistently, the pill helps you kind of do a really long scene. Under so, most, I've yeah. never used a uh, like erectile dysfunction medicine. You take it, yeah, and you get an erection, basically. Well, or do you have to like you have to like once you're aroused, it's a really strong erection, and it's really hard to go away until you ejaculate you know what i mean okay. and then sometimes it still doesn't go away that's what i was going to say sometimes yeah. like it, it sticks around and that's the scary part and that's uh what kind of ended my career okay let's talk about this <laughs> what's it called again what's the condition called again uh, i think the pronunciation is priapism i may have been saying this wrong for the past five years but that's it's like I, it's yeah. like the the guy on the uh Silas commercial who's like if you experience an erection lasting longer than four hours right that's what happened to you yeah well i had an erection that lasted like 12 hours 
I didn't want to go to the hospital because it had happened prior and I didn't have insurance and I didn't want to pay for this. So what happened that time? Just eventually went away? No, I went to the hospital because at 12 hours, that sucks. That hurts really bad. I don't know if anyone listening to this has had a 12-hour erection. You, sh- <laughs> you should be in the hospital. <laughs> if you're sitting at home listening to this podcast and you've had an erection lasting longer than four hours, go to the hospital. Get some medical attention. Um, so they they initially, uh, give you some medication to try and get it to go down. And if that doesn't work, it is uh, truly a horrifying experience. I'm kind of laughing right now because this happened a long time ago, but they put a shunt in the side of your cock and bleed it. They put an anesthetic first, so it's kind of numb, but you feel the pressure of, you know, it's, uh, it's like, it is horrifying and. I never, ever, ever want to have that happen again. So, so this happened to you mm-hmm. once, and you went to through, the doctor. No, through three times. You had shunted. You had you, yeah. you got shunted three times. Three times. And at the third time, you're like, I'm done. Well, the th- the third time, the reason I said that time that I'm done, uh, it's that the emergency doctor, the emergency room doctor, said to me, very flatly, uh, you know, you keep doing this. You're keep doing what you keep taking this medication which was well i did cialis i did some viagra i occasionally injected but the third time i didn't inject it was just from pills you're sticking a needle in your dick yeah i mean look it it, it sounds insane but if this is your job and when you're in a situation like this is your only income and you're a senior in college and if you stop working, like, how are you going to get through the rest of your year? You know what I mean? It was like decisions like that, that spurred this. And, um, it became normalized because everyone around me was doing this. Everyone who was my colleague, that's the work. Yeah. And so if I'm like, Oh yeah, you do this. It can't be that bad. So I'm going to try it and they'll give me a recommendation to a doctor. And you know, the first time may be really scary sticking an insulin needle into your penis. (laughs) But if you do that for a month, yeah, well, like my buddy's diabetic, and like yeah. he can just sit there and inject himself. Like he does, you barely even know what's happening. Right. You're at like a dinner table, and he's like, "Oh, I need my shot," and he's got like his spot. He's used to it. He doesn't even look right. So it kind of became like that, um, and it's weird now to think about it. Like I would never inject my penis these days for for normal sex. Just... By the way, I'm going to use that line <laughs> in the trailer for this episode. <laughs> I probably just spiked your audio pretty hard there. Um, but okay. So this doctor says to you, you're going to build, if I keep going to the hospital with priapism and they keep doing this, I risk long-term damage. Basically scarring can build up and you can lose the ability to achieve a natural erection. He told me that I thought about my life that I had not really, um, had aspirations to do this job in the first place. I had actually gone to school and that was the reason for me doing porn. You paid for college with porn? I still have student loans, but I did not take out, uh, I didn't like my rent and my books and, you know, making student films while I was there and eating, all of that was just porn. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to take out excessive loans or anything like that. Um, 
But basically, I was thinking, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm going to fuck up my penis so that I can do this job that I never really cared about that much. So, by the way, like, I love the idea of, like, in the movie version of this, third act, like, end uh-huh. of the movie, it's just you and a doctor where he's like, this priapism. Like, it's not like the Dirk Diggler ending where, like, he takes out his dick and does, like, a kung fu move. It's like you in a, in a doctor's office, just like the guy going, listen. You got to knock this off. Yeah. You're going to ruin your dick. Exactly. End of the movie. Well, it's not the end of the movie. Okay. Or the end of this book that I wrote, but it's, it was the, the end, end of, of your my career. career. And I made a decision that I would not do this anymore. And people have asked me, well, why didn't you just keep doing it and not do the drugs? And I, in my head, I was not capable of that. Whether or not that's true, I believe that if I go to a scene and I didn't take a pill, I mean, I would have an anxiety attack because I believe like I couldn't do the job and then certainly I couldn't do the job. And then after a few scenes, they would fire me because I, my dick wouldn't work. I, I get know. it. I yeah. get it. I get exactly how that could happen. Yeah. It's like, uh, like here's my life experience parallel. Like I'll go through phases where like I would, uh, or I used to do this where I would like take like a sleep aid. I'd have Ambien, you know, I'd go on a trip or something and the doctor would give me a prescription just so I could like, you know, adjust the jet lag or whatever. Right. And then I come home and then like, I'd be like, I really need to sleep tonight. I'm going to take like a half an Ambien to make sure that I sleep. Right. And then the next night it's like, fuck, like, you know, what if I don't take one then (laughs) I won't sleep? And you get into this like weird mental pattern where you feel like you need it. Like it may not even be a physical addiction, but you're kind of addicted psychologically because you don't think what you want to have happen will happen unless you take this pill that's right right. that's right where that's where i was at so i canceled all my scenes uh and then kind of went into a a a year that was probably uh one of the hardest of my adult life what happened Uh, well i was completely financially reliant on this job yes i had gone to school but as anyone who knows getting out of college is not like, especially if a couple of years have gone by to go and like do the thing that you study for. It's not like you're going to make a lot of money up front. And, uh, most of my connections were, the, were with the porn industry. So the jobs I had available to me were like to be a production assistant on a porn set, which, uh, after being the star, after you're being like... the star is essentially like cleaning up come with baby wipes and handing people like lube and fetching air, you know, sometimes setting up some equipment, but you're also making like much less money. Let's say, um, less than what did you, you get paid to do as a porn star? What do you get paid per movie <clears throat> or scene? Or at the top of my, at the height of my career is getting probably like six or $700 a scene. Occasionally eight. If it was like a big company, uh, but that's like a scene. That's like a, 10 minute, 20 minute deal. Well, that's your day. You kind of get a day rate, uh, unless you do two sex scenes, but some people are capable of that. I had tried that and a couple of times really fucked it up. So I would tell people I can do one scene a day that includes all the acting that goes around it. So you, you basically paid for how many times you have sex in the day. And for most people that's once. So that's how much I would make on it. And you know, it wasn't like I was a millionaire, but I, did pretty well for my age i think like i i don't know trying to do the math like what are you making you're making like i made three grand a week or something no not even 
No, I mean, my, I didn't make crazy money. I think the, my best year I made maybe a little over 80 K in a year, but I felt like for was, a college student. Yeah, it was great. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a college kid. Yeah. Um, and then what about like, this is where I want to like get into the, like the, the moral questions that surround porn and sure. Uh, I think they're legitimate and I think not, you know, I think it's complicated, but I do think like you talk about, uh, the saturated market and the proliferation of internet porn and how easy it is to access. Right. Like the generation that, you know, the, I guess the millennials who grew up with this Uh (laughs) at their fingertips and like, this is how so many young people learn about sex. Right. Particularly in, I think, repressive households and environments where, or school systems where sex ed is uh, not available to them, I think people often turn to porn. I don't know if we have um, like a full understanding of what the consequences of all this is in terms of its impact on people's psyches and its impact on like how, for example, young men uh, conceive of and approach intimacy with women when their you know their entire like uh understanding of what that's supposed to look like is derived from these gangbang porns or you know what i'm saying like, i do know what you're saying so there's a good friend of mine named cindy gallup i don't know if you've heard of this woman she started a business based on Kind of a very small concept she had years ago, and, and she has a website called MakeLoveNotPorn.com, and she approached me in the middle of my career to see if I wanted to be involved with this, and a, a lot of other porn people she talked to kind of uh, responded negatively because they thought she was really anti-porn, but I, she's not. I think she um, is really about putting the message out there that there is a difference between real sex and what most porn presents because she had, she was a advertising executive in the early two thousands and was a part of this study. I don't know, study, but a group of other people working in advertising got together to kind of like, um, see what this whole online dating thing was about. And she started, she was the only one who was single among them. So she started going on these dates and she was, you know, an older woman, but still very conventionally attractive. And so she started getting hit up by a lot of younger men and had this experience of men in their early twenties, um, doing things like at the end of sex, jumping up and coming on her face without asking or calling her names that she really didn't want to be called or just, you know, automatically choking her in the middle of sex or expecting certain things. And yeah, like the ejaculation on the face yeah. is a porn trope, right? That like in real life is not generally yeah. what we're <laughs> right. I mean, like some women may, you may like talk about this as a fantasy and maybe your partner will go through with it and maybe she'll, I don't know if she'll like it or at least be neutral about it, but right. The first time you hook up with someone, it's a weird thing to do. Yeah. And probably you will get a negative reaction. I'm just going to say if you're a guy venturing a guess. Yeah. So she just made like a very basic website. Like this is what happens in porn real world. Some people like this. Some people don't. It's not necessarily going to go down that way. And then she did a very famous Ted talk and she's turned this into a kind of like, it's basically an 
a high-end amateur porn site, but with very curated stuff from like couples. What's it called? It's called makelovenotporn.tv. Okay. Um, and it's kind of PG unless you pay for something on the site. So there's no like visible porn. So you can use it a little bit as an educational service. And then if you want to pay for videos, you have to be of a certain age and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that was the first time that that, that concept was kind of put forth to me bluntly and it made me really think about that um i'm conflicted on porn's responsibility because i think by a certain age i expect people to have a a degree of media literacy uh to understand you know like we go to an action film and i think it's fairly safe to say that you should not go out and shoot people or get in this high speed chase because you understand this is a produced fantasy, but we put, you know, age limits on that. But now we have the internet and this doesn't matter because kids can get to this as young as they have an iPad. Right. Um, but like, should there be more of, should porn have more responsibility because they're essentially becoming de facto sex ed? Well, it shouldn't be de facto sex ed and that's a really fucked place to be in right now and i don't know what what that's doing to young people some of those conversations i feel like are uh what is the word i mean people maybe are are thinking this is more of an issue than it is but on the other hand it, it can't help but have an influence on young people's sexuality and especially in, in um, for young people who not don't. even not even yeah. young people. I mean, young people especially, but right. people in general. Right. Uh, I just wonder. Like, I don't. I'm sure there's there are studies being done, and there's going to eventually be something that's pretty definitive sure. if there's not already. But I can't imagine that it's not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's got to be more confusing to be a kid these days because um, you have access to anything you immediately, and if no one if there's no information to kind of balance that out um yeah that's got to be strange i I don't really know what the answer to that is but i mean i agree with you that that's a pressing issue what about the corrosive like is there a corrosive aspect having done this work Mm -hmm. is there a corrosive aspect to it where whether it was you or witnessing friends of yours or colleagues in the industry does it do something corrosive to your soul to do this work? Not inherently. This is, this is what I feel is the, the kind of the part where I started to have a very negative reaction to sex work, um, is when the kind of financial end of it started to fall apart. And this is starting to correct itself. I get really down on Pornhub in this, the book because it kind Pornhub.com. of dot com yeah. which is owned by a corporation called MindGeek, and they've kind of taken over porn. For most people, porn Pornhub kind of is the porn industry, and they just they financially devastated the old model of porn business. And it's a disruptive startup. Yeah. <laughs> and now my girlfriend, who is an artist, did a huge installation from them, and they've worked with Kanye West, and they've done all this stuff that's basically like they're really trying to legitimize themselves as like a mainstream thing, and it's becoming like 
a weird like Silicon Valley type of like normalized it's company. Big, it's, it's huge it, money. It, yeah. Pornhub so, makes a lot of money, right? It does. Like it's got to be profitable. It Maybe is. not for the people on the films, but the, right. the corporate people running it are probably making money hand over fist. Yes, that's accurate. So this was my issue. When you have something... So I don't think the people in porn towards each other are really awful most of the time. I think it is a close-knit community in a way that is more often than not kind of supportive. And I became really close friends with a lot of people in porn and um, still have very positive feelings towards them. But we can't ignore the fact that a lot of people outside of the industry um, will treat you a certain way. And for example, there are certain banks that will close your account if they figure out that you're making money from porn. No kidding. If you quit the industry to go on to a different job, especially for a woman, that can be a nightmare. You get fired all the time or sexually harassed. Um, if you have a child, for example, and you want to associate with other people at the school, I've heard nightmares from women who basically the other parents were like, we don't want our kid associating with you because we think you're a pedophile or something, which is completely unfounded. But, you know, they're dealing with this on a regular basis. So if that is all true... And you had this job that paid you a lot and you used to be able to, you know, support your family and buy a house and so forth. And all of a sudden this becomes disruptive. And now there's basically no financial incentive and everyone treats you like garbage. Um, that's a pretty shitty position to be in. You, you know what? Porn uh, stars have to unionize. I absolutely agree. Like they should. Well... Because they have all the leverage. There's no without them. There's no. There's that no is, porn. That is such a complicated thing right now. I I really can't get into the ins and outs of it. The podcast, but that is try that people have attempted to do this for decades, and part of it has to do with the turnover rate of performers and the who's willing to stick it out and actually fight that fight. And the amount of fatigue that goes along with that. And then people who just quit the industry before. Well, organizing work. human beings to yeah. do anything is a big, huge pain in the ass. Yeah. But it, it's also like, it's making me now think about like the amateur porn thing, because you think about like the internet and Pornhub or whatever, however many millions of sites there are. Right. Like anybody can be a porn star. Right. And I'm sort of, I'm sort of like, uh, amazed by how many people are willing to like take a video of themselves <laughs> having sex in their bedroom and put it on the internet. I am too. I went to the most recent Pornhub Awards that was in Los Angeles over the summer. Uh, and it was amazing. A lot of these awards were not being given out to people in the porn industry, like your typical porn star. They were give, being given out to these weird screen names from Pornhub because they have a bunch of views, more views than anyone else. But it was like... Like... Dirty girl 16 or something. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> yeah. like, it wasn't like someone's name. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah. the winner is. Yeah. And the, what did they call it? The Pornhub Award? What so is the Pornhub Awards. It was the first Pornhub Award. They don't so. have like a shorthand? Like the, the porny? No, I don't no. think so. The Pornhub Award goes to? Ka yeah, Kanye West hosted this. He did? He did. Why? Not hosted. He art directed it. I know, something like that. Uh, I don't know. It's... 
but that's what I mean. Like Pornhub is becoming like this very culturally relevant thing. Is that good now. or bad? From a financial point of view, I'm going to argue it's bad. I, I think it's, it's sort of neutral to me in a sort of cultural perspective, but I think, um, in a certain way, I like a little bit of a conservatism because it makes this more taboo. And if something is more taboo and the sex industry kind of like works off of that, then people are willing to pay you more because you're doing a service that most people aren't willing to do. If everyone is a porn star and everyone is naked on the internet getting fucked, then what value is there in it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I, but I think that, I think that genie's out of the bottle. Oh yeah. Like, so I, I mean, at this point, I just don't have a, a lot of reaction to, it. I'm very ambivalent. I don't know what to think. I mean, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm in a monogamous relationship with someone who's not a porn star. I'm very happy about that. Um, I do work on set sometimes, but it's, you know, the money is gone. But what it's I really want to do is direct. No, I, no, I'm just... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I want to be no, out think, of it completely in a few years. I as know. you've, uh, as you've, you know, had to reckon with the, uh, the financial difficulties of, uh, the porn industry, I think you've made the very wise move of turning your attention to literature <laughs> as a possible solution to your conundrum. Oh yeah. That's just, saving me. Yeah. I was going to say indie lead is the answer. Um, but I, I guess like it's admirable, um, I always think it's admirable to take com complex life situations um, and to transform them into literature and to kind of put it down. And the story that you're telling is uh, not a story that most people get to in their understanding of porn. <laughs> it's all very surface level. You know what I'm right. saying? Like they're online, they're watching porn, they're jerking off, whatever. But um, you might wonder about the people on screen, but not for long. Right. And uh, I think that the book that you've written humanizes it. And uh, I just applaud you for putting the effort in to you know, tell your story. And I appreciate you coming on the show and talking with me about it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you saying that. Okay, guys, there you go. That's Christopher Zyshegg. His memoir is called Body to Job. It is available from Rare Bird Books. You can find him on the internet at ChristopherZyshegg.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Zyshegg. The book, one more time, is called Body to Job. Go get your copy. You can also Google Danny Wild. I'm sure you've already done that, you sick pervert. Thanks to LitHub for uh, syndicating the show. And thanks... If, am I using the word syndicating correctly? I don't want to overstate it. It's not like I'm Oprah. Featuring the podcast. Thank you for featuring the podcast, LitHub. Be sure to check out LitHub.com. Thanks to Kill Rockstars and the band Stereo Total for the theme song music. Thanks to Tiger in My Tank for the interstitial music. If you would like to write to me, letters at otherppl.com is the email address. If you want to support the show patreon.com slash other ppl pod don't forget about the other people app it's free go get the app it's available wherever you get your apps don't forget there are more than 550 episodes available in the archive all of them free of charge you can hear my conversations with writers ranging from george saunders to cheryl Strayed to roxanne gay to celeste ing to amy bender to susan orland to edwidge dantica to jonathan franzen 
to Tom Parada. The list goes on. <sighs> I feel like, uh, I feel like I covered everything. Did I cover everything? I hope everybody understands what's happening. I hope I understand what's happening. But then again, is it possible to ever truly understand what's happening? Plane overhead at the moment, or maybe it's a helicopter. I don't know what it is. It's an unidentified flying object, but only because I can't see it. I need to eat something. I feel like my blood sugar is low. I could faint at any moment. I appreciate you listening. This is what I sound like when I'm sleep deprived. I'll talk to you again soon.